hey, check it out. Hey, 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 check it out. Hey, hey, check it out. Hey, check it out. The song is extra long because the movie's extra long. But here's my quick summary. If you have an extra half hour, you could watch Solaris instead and have a much better time because this is bad Solaris and I hate it and I wish I'd never seen it. But that's the game. That's the job. That's what Corey and Josh make me do. Mostly Corey. And yeah. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> I don't actually really, I, I actually feel like I could leave now because that is basically my commentary in a nutshell. <laughs> this is bad Solaris. Fair. Or possibly dumb Solaris. Depending on I did on how read you some feel. reviews and they brought that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did they? <laughs> Welcome to Hey Check It Out, which is a manifestation of our unconscious minds. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's true, technically. In each episode, one of us picks a movie that the others haven't mostly seen. <laughs> that movie should be interesting in some way, shape, or form. I picked a movie from 1998 called Sphere. Uh, my name's Corey. And <laughs> And uh, have have either of you seen this before? Absolutely no. I avoided seeing this. I I did read the book when I before this movie came out. So in sometime in the nineties when I read Crichton books, and I remember thinking it was okay. <laughs> it is the kind of movie. Oh, I'm Anna, by the way, and I'm Josh. It is the kind of movie that I go out of my way to not see. Um, it is, if I did watch it, I think it was definitely like on VHS and I was in a room when it was happening because there are little things that sort of flash back to me while I was watching the film. But honestly, it's such a generic, trite, boring piece of shit and so representative of a lot of the Hollywood genre filmmaking of the era that I could very well have been confusing it with like 68 other movies. Have you seen The Abyss? Because there's a, some abyss in there. There's some, ab there's some abyss in there. There's some Leviathan in there. There's, <laughs> Deep some, <Star> Six. <laughs> there's some Deep Star Six in there. There's, as Solaris was already brought up, mm. it is a... Uh, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> it's it, Corey. Why? Because <laughs> of Jurassic Park. Okay. As we all know, Jurassic Park's the first movie I saw in theaters, and right. following that, uh, like any small child, I got massively into reading books. So mm -hmm. about 2000, probably, I was reading, like, The Lost World, and I got really into the Michael Crichton stuff. Um, with, I, I'd say, no awareness that he was massively influential in any way, shape, or form. Uh, mm. But then I followed that up by watching a bunch of the movies of the books that I had read, such as Congo or Timeline. Red uh, Sun. Disclosure. I've never seen... Uh, the Andromeda Strain. So if, oh, if, yeah. if anyone was thinking of that. Um, 
and that's like his bef- because there are two very distinct eras mm. of Crichton movies, right? There's like Coma and the Andromeda Strain and a bunch of other like weird little not you know some of them were big deals, but then Jurassic Park comes out in the early '90s, and now it's not. And now he's not just another airport paperback dude whose movies whose books get turned into movies. He's the airport paperback dude whose books. Get turned into yeah, he's the new Grisham. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's sci-fi Grisham. Um, and and anyways, Corey. So you so you wanted to see the movies you just named, like Congo and Timeline. <laughs> the state of Michael Crichton films post Jurassic Park is they're all terrible, right? <laughs> yeah, which which very much allowed me to be like, oh, the book was better. Book is better than the movie. Ah. <laughs> it's, it's easy enough. Arguably. <laughs> the sphere takes about as long to read as it does to watch. Hmm. So so did you like Sphere, Corey, when you saw it? No, I didn't even remember <laughs> seeing it. And I spent I, I spent years being like, I think this is Event Horizon. Or maybe The Abyss. And sure. I've crossed those yeah. both off yeah. of the list mm-hmm. of movies it could have been. Because <laughs> it was just like years of nightmares and unwanted thoughts of like oh, no. nasty parasitic things that I had no source for. So I finally tracked it down. And it was this this thing I read because I liked Jurassic Park. And then I watched the movie probably on VHS. Mm-hmm. At a time when I was too young. Speak, speaking of people watching Sphere when they were probably too young, this might this is maybe a good time for me to drop my uh, my video my alluded to video store story about the film Sphere, the major motion picture Sphere, directed by Barry Levinson. <laughs> Uh, uh, so when I, I, so when I worked in a, uh, a video store, it was, I mean, presumably it was in 98 through 99. There was this kid who would come in all the time with like, I think his grandfather or maybe his dad. Um, and they would just rent whatever. I can't remember if he did have braces, but he talked like he had braces. So he had a little trouble. He had trouble enunciating. And for, I swear to God, it felt like, I don't know, half a year. Every time he would come in, he would ask if Sphere had come out, except he pronounced it like Sphere. Do you have the movie Sphere in? (laughs) And one time he called and I thought it was him, but I wasn't sure. And I thought he was saying Fear. And I was like, yes. And I put a copy of the uh, Mark Wahlberg thriller Fear aside for him. And he came Uh in and he's like, this is not Sphere the movie I wanted to see. And then I, I mean, eventually it came out on video and I guess he watched it. I don't, I don't have a punchline to this. It was just this kid who was constantly the only, the only person on earth who was really excited for sphere to come out on VHS. Never came back to the store after finally seeing it. Yes. I understand. Possibly. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe they found him drained of all his life force in front of the, the (laughs) TV with the credits going. I don't know. It's possible. Life Force, another movie this rips off. <laughs> another probably. movie I'd rather watch than Sphere. And another movie I'd rather watch. <laughs> Joyless is the first <laughs> word that comes to mind. I think it is no secret to everyone that I watch a lot of schlock. You sure do. Watch a lot of B-movies. I watch mm-hmm. a lot of junk. We've talked about a fair amount of junk already on this podcast, and I've been worried a little that 
I might have the guise of being the person who likes everything. Oh, I don't think that's a problem. Well, no, but all of the movies, like if we've talked about making contact and I was like, okay, you know sure. what? I see what they were going for and I get it. And Peanut Butter mm. Solution, I'm like, you know what? This is a crazy bullshit movie, but people were actually trying to make something happen. And even uh, Babes in Toyland, which is absolutely terrible. It's terrible in a fascinating era specific way. Mm. And Sphere is just a nothing it is it is it is uh it's what the uh the film critic Catherine Coldiron, whose book i have right here uh her amazing monograph on plan nine from outer space she takes a minute to uh came out last year highly recommend it uh she took a minute to categorize what she believes to be the five categories of bad movie uh auteur incompetence which is like an ed wood or a tommy wiseau uh poor photocopies which are like mockbusters movies that ought to work but don't which is to say everything was in the right place they had, had a good idea it had all the money it had stars but like Waterworld is the example she gives mm. uh, a missing link where it's like everything would have worked, but one thing was stupid and it threw everything off. And then the last one is uh, cynical trash. That is a film that is completely, nobody is there because they want to be there. Nobody is there because they believe in the material from the director to the actors, to the grip, to craft services, to whomst ever. Everyone is just there for a paycheck and it shows, it shows so hard. And it also does a thing that rhymes with shows so hard. <laughs> is it blows? That is the word. Yes. You solved my riddle. Blows so nard. <laughs> <laughs> so I picture this. So here's how I, here's how I picture this film. I picture it as an equation in a producer, in a producer's head at, I guess, Warner brothers, if I recall correctly. Uh, and they're like, Michael Crichton. Plus Barry Levinson, plus Dustin Hoffman, plus Samuel Jackson, plus Sharon Stone equals a lot of dollar signs. Yeah, it's designed to be, if not a full four quadrant movie, it is designed to appeal to as broad of a, you know, swath of the film going public as possible. So every single person comes in and sees this movie. The opposite of that happened. Until this week, I thought that everyone liked it. Like, it was just like, <laughs> you know, this no. is this big blockbuster it's movie. Flop. It's got all these people in it, like Liev Schreiber <laughs> and Queen Latifah. Oh, right. And, you know, it's the year and after Wang the Dog. The cool and it's a decade after Rain Man. And it's got, you know, mm -hmm. the Dream Team. Oh, like, yeah. who's, who's not going to see this movie and, and loving it like every other <laughs> blockbuster <laughs> movie out there? You know who I bet did like this movie? Lesbians who were really into Sharon Stone's short-haired look. Like me. That was one of the things I hung my hat on. <laughs> okay, there's that. Listen, there's very little to hang one's hat on in this film. It took what I could get. Coriander, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Levinson's uh, kind of like the highlights of Levinson's career. I've got it in front of me here because I was curious where this lands in his depth charge. Mm. And uh, you're absolutely right. It uh, it follows Wag the Dog, which at this point was a rare hit 
both critical and I think it did okay at the box office for Levinson because before that he did Sleepers, which was, I know, a very anticipated uh, book adaptation mm. that nobody really cared about. Jimmy Hollywood, which was shockingly bad. Oh, God, yeah. Toys, which I saw in the theater uh, <laughs> and which is really bad. Bugsy, which is fucking wonderful, but I don't think it did super well. Yeah, I disagree about Bugsy. I think Bugsy is a Levinson just like jacking off on screen, basically. It's just a big, big old, look, I know how to use a camera and do fancy things, Wank. And I, I turned it off partway through because I was just annoyed by it. I haven't seen it as my current iteration of myself. The last time I saw it was when really, I was a teen. Yeah, uh, I saw it in I saw it in my twenties, and it was it was nice and refreshing to see Beatty give a shit and Annette Benning oh, sure. I thought give a really good performance. And it's Oscar bait of the worst kind, in my humble opinion. I oh, the, I think there's far worse Oscar bait out there. Uh, <laughs> and I find and I find the story of the creation of Vegas uh, vaguely interesting. I don't know. Mm. I, my point is is that I. I liked it. I think it did relatively well, but yeah. this, but after that, after Bugsy, he then goes into his ex Barry Levinson era, which is to say he used to be Barry Levinson. Like all of these movies after sphere Liberty Heights, I vaguely remember bandits. Mm. I vaguely remember, but like he did envy, which if you remember, that's the movie where like Jack, black invents a thing that if oh, you spray yeah. it on dog poop it disappears like right and they showed the trailers for like three years and then it never came out or something yeah i remember this but levinson used to be great sure from 1982 and look i suspect our neurodiverse listeners probably have their own set of opinions about rain man and they're probably right mm -hmm. but at the time certainly people are like this is a good movie it's not now. And I think we can all say like, this is probably not the way we should have been telling these stories and he wasn't the guy to do it, but it all goes to shit for him. And this, and he just kind of becomes this, he becomes a generic, get it done guy. I think best on display possibly in man of the year. Oh, I mean, he Coppola's basically. Oh no. Wait, is man of the year when Williams becomes president? Yep. Y yep. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, they'd worked on toys together and then... Yeah. And it was so great. Yeah. They were like, this turned out great. Let's do this again and again. Well, they worked, I mean, they worked together on Good Morning Vietnam. Another oh, movie right. That, yes. Yes. Another movie that I suspect at the time, everybody was like, what a great piece yep. of storytelling. And now I think we'd all be like, this is not, this is not a great idea. I listen to the soundtrack a lot. Same. Same. An embarrassing amount. But Sphere is just such a, it's such a perfect circle of garbage. It's so, he didn't care. Nobody cared. Nobody who made this movie. I just talked a very long time. I apologize. Why does this movie not work and Jurassic Park does? Well, dinosaurs? Let's, dinosaurs. I'm, like, okay, uh, the music isn't bad in sphere okay yeah sure it's not necessarily I mean, notable with everything else going on yeah there is a lot of it and they do like the very foreboding yeah. tension thing and then they're like oh here's our grandiose scene thing it's just like it's a very on the nose i guess but yeah. it's not yeah. bad yeah. it's it's really sure. really functional i think uh the camera works actually pretty decent. They they're yep. just like, hey, let's make this tight and claustrophobic because it's underwater. And yeah, they did it. I know the DP really likes bubbles though. 
editing isn't terrible. It's just like, yeah, they want the uh, the snappy. I have, I'll get to it, but I have, I have some issues with the editing later on in the film. They stuck fairly close to the book in this one, other than yeah. changing the main character's name uh, from <laughs> Johnson to Goodman, which is <laughs> a choice. And they added a, a letter to Halpern. <laughs> they added, added the I to Beth Halpern's name. I see. Um, did you think that they literally changed it to Goodman just so the audience <laughs> was like, this guy's our hero? I believe so. Because when I was a kid watching it, it was just like very apparent that he was the protagonist of the story and he's like trying to do his best. And now I watch yeah. it and I'm like, he's a gross guy. He yeah. is. He is terrible. Everybody in this movie is basically gross, though, aside from probably Sharon Stone. Uh, I mean, he's especially gross, though, uh, because he's yeah. like he's he's our he's our hero. And he's this weird philandering piece of shit who's a liar who lied. Yeah. He lied into all of these. If he wasn't yeah. a stupid liar who was going. Yeah. It's ironic that Dustin Hoffman in this his character in this movie was like, <laughs> I, and we'll get to it. But he writes a report that ends up being the playbook for human alien uh, relations. And Hoffman's just like, yeah, I just did it for the money. My heart wasn't yeah. in it. And it's like, hmm. 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 Interesting. Interesting. What happens when you put you don't put your heart into something for the money? Mm. Get all, and it's like yes, Corey. It's like the editing is everything on a technical level is fine. The music is fine. It looks fine. It's shot fine. It obviously has money behind. Cost eighty million dollars. Ended up oh, making geez. about a hundred worldwide. Not great. Mm. And just to complete a thought I had a thousand hours ago. It's like, why do I like some terrible movies and why do I not like this terrible movie? And it is because you can sense a heartbeat in other terrible movies. And even if they are incompetent, it is an incompetence born of people trying to make something, trying to get their specific weird worldview out there for everybody to see. And in this, it's just like, no, we just wanted to make a movie and make its money back. Yeah, there's, it's wispy. There's no substance for for something that lasts two hours and fifteen minutes. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Back to your question about why Jurassic Park works and this doesn't, Josh. What if I want you to imagine if in Jurassic Park they spend a long time talking about dinosaurs, like they actually do in Jurassic Park. And then they ha they stayed inside and every so often someone would look out a window and say, hey, a dinosaur, but we didn't get to see them. And, and then Jurassic Park blew up, the end. Jurassic Park has an understanding, even though it's Spielberg doing it, uh, and he is, a, he is obviously a big time, super technically competent filmmaker. Everybody understands that this movie is fun. And there is a different conversation to be had about the proliferation of theme park ride movies. And Jurassic Park is kind of the nay plus ultra of the theme park ride movie. But you mean because it's set in a theme park because it is because it is set in a theme park but it's literally a theme like it literally operates like a theme park ride i it knew well yes and Anna, that's a really good point it 
knew what it was. It understands that it is schlock with giant expensive dinosaurs and shirtless Jeff Goldblum. And a co- mm-hmm. it's even it's got a couple kids running around. So it's like, you know that this is a this is like a boys and girls golden book adventure with dinosaurs, and it is schlocky and it is a billion dollar B movie, and people's hearts were in the thing. Everybody was trying to make something new and different and at the same time just give the public a good old-fashioned e-ticket ride it's Mm -hmm. fucking fun and it knows it's stupid and it knows it's schlocky just like jaws did 30 years Mm -hmm. before that or literally any good indiana jones movie yeah and this even from the opening credits we might as well kick off from the opening credits (laughs) from the opening credits We are being told that this movie is more than, I believe. Mm -hmm. We are being told that this movie, it is, it's hushed, symphonic tones. It's spooky letters on a spooky screen. And it's telling us like, this is not any stupid Buck Rogers zizap (laughs) with a laser beam, some space guy. No, this is... This is real, grounded, and nay, important science fiction entertainment. And it's at at that moment that I was like, I'm already furious. (laughs) So buckle up for 30 minutes of exposition before anything of note happens. Because that's that's how Tarkovsky would do it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, put a a sphere effect filter on all of your lettering (laughs) and ripples footage and then put put in your like your bug pictures and your sea monsters and your woodcuts in the background so it's like ooh science and mystery adventure i'd rather watch 15 minutes of a slow push in on a swamp <laughs> so we uh start flying over the ocean in a helicopter and Huey Lewis is flying Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> bless. God fucking bless. Is <laughs> is flying Dustin Hoffman, Dr. Norman Goodman. They're very loosey-goosey on the names in this entire movie. They'll call characters by their last name, their first name, and one case, nickname. Uh, or even like little secret pet names, you know? And... <laughs> We're getting the exposition lead up to explain why Dustin Hoffman is here. He's a psychologist. He deals with like PTSD and survivor's guilt for plane crash victims. And there must have been a plane crash out in the ocean. Well, that's what they told him. That's what they told him because he specializes in that. I think he's just presumed it, to be honest with you. And no, nobody bothers for the longest time to tell him, by the way, this isn't... Act- Somebody could just say it's something else. They don't have to tell him what. They just say, it's not a plane crash. And Huey Lewis, uh, who is... And by the way, this is not an actor who looks like Huey Lewis and we're being adorable, although <laughs> nope. we are adorable. It is literally goddamn Huey Lewis just in the movie for 52 seconds to be like... <laughs> Hey, I do this sometimes. Bye-bye. How to rock and roll still beating. I'm out of here. He he is basically <laughs> like, yeah, they're flying in all kinds of people. You're like the 50th person I brought in. They're, and they're bringing in, you know, mathematicians and blah and this and that. And you know, who even knows what they're doing here? Well, not There's my three job. other people. They brought in yeah. three other people. <laughs> I expected to see a lot of people and there were not a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, there's some boats floating out there. And then we get the title card. The surface. Oh my, can we 
chapter can heading. About, can we talk about the fu- the fucking chapter heading title cards? Yes. That serve no discernible purpose whatsoever. They are terrible. Every time they pop up, the th- all that happens is I'm like, this again? Why? There's only one that upsets me, and we will get they to it. They don't even really divide the movie into reasonable chunks of any kind. They they just give up about the last forty five minutes. They just don't even bother anymore because I guess all they could the all the intertitles would all just be stupid chaos. I don't know, bunch of bullshit. It stinks up to me a thing that was added in in a last minute desperate attempt to give this movie some kind of form and shape. Oh yeah, like they did a test screening and somebody was like. But how do I even know if they're on the surface or not? And then they go, oh, wait a minute. I know. <laughs> how do I know if they're underwater? Yeah. How, how's that going to happen <sighs> these days in this economy? Well, I mean, to be fair, like this movie does feel, despite being way too long. Once again, this is a, a film that feels like half of it had been was, was edited out somewhere. I don't want it. Oh, I don't want it. I do not want the four-hour cut of Sphere. You don't want the original German language dub, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not. They're, they do do a free. They do do a freeze of the frame and zoom in on Sharon Stone. At I which saw point I said too. At which point I said, "This is just like the end of making contact." So, uh, unfortunately, like recently, I watched Antichrist, and Anna did as well. What's and there's about chapter that? titles in that as well. There's only and like a four. psychologist. It's the same movie. It's. <laughs> I'm apoplectic with rage. That's funny. I can't talk. I'm not against. Anna, are you okay? Has your Vaclimp spell? <laughs> I, just, I, need, oh. I okay. just need to. I need to center myself. <laughs> I I don't mind chapter titles as long, and of course, it's not coming to mind like a movie where these work great. But I don't mind them as long. Oh, Kill Bill! Kill Bill's chapter titles are great, and you know why? Because we bounce around in time. We're mm. we're over here, then we're over there, and there's literally a list that's driving the movie that lets us know. And consi- it's two movies, and there are some segments that are so long that it's almost like you need that chapter title to be like, okay, and now we're going back into the main story. These chapter titles are so didactic, so worthless. That I that again, it had to have been put in as like, as like a triage almost. Mm. Like people don't know what's happening. We need to say like, oh, they now they're gonna try and fight the alien, but we don't know that from anything anybody said. So we better better say the title is Battle Stations, for example. <laughs> Corey, can I just take a guess at which one bothered you the most? Is it the last one? Yes. <laughs> Is it is it because it's not formatted like the rest of them? A little bit. Okay, that's what I thought. I all I was also mad about that, but I sort of I, I was sort of drained by that point, so I couldn't really get any energy behind it. I did not notice the formatting on that, but I was angry about it for it's, different reasons. It's over it's overlaid on the image instead of a different title. Yeah, spoilers, Anna. Spoilers do not watch Sphere. Yeah. So Dr. Hoffman is on the boat now and everybody around him is being uh, is obfuscating and it's just like, we don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? Nobody knows what a plane crash is. There was no plane crash. You're not even here. This movie's not happening. Loved you and wagged the dog. <laughs>
<laughs> Here, sit in this room for a while after you see someone you you maybe recognize. Ted, Beth. Yep. We meet uh, we meet Liev Schreiber, uh, who I if it's not the first line he has, it's near the first line, which is "Don't you know who I am?" He is a astrophysicist who's been brought aboard, and we find out that he's sort of like the Doctor Phil of astrophysicists. He wrote like a Space for Dummies type book or something like that, and he's also like, "What am I doing here? What's going on?" And everybody's like, "Shut up, Liev Schreiber." I will say the one thing I remember about this movie coming out uh, back in the day is I thought it was funny that. Hoffman and Liev Schreiber were in the same movie together because I considered Liev Schreiber to be a Dustin Hoffman cover band. Oh, uh, sure. And so because they're both very much both mutter, there's right. so much there's so much fucking acting muttering in this movie. Uh, so much method bullshit. But now I'm mad! You know, I it... Well, thankfully, you know, Dustin's very grounded in this and Liev gets to shout a, a lot. <laughs> yeah, like but Dustin, oh, but Dustin shouts. <laughs> no. Does does Liev Schreiber ever play characters that aren't just like entitled assholes? Was he an entitled asshole in the Scream movies? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he kind of was. He kind of was. <laughs> For sure. Um, I mean, the thing is about Liev Schreiber is that he basically had a career until they made him Mark Ruffalo. And then they were like, sorry, Liam, <laughs> sorry, Liam Schreiber. You're obsolete. Yeah. Sorry, we made <laughs> onto the garbage can of history with you. We made a better model. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like the theory that I had that Leslie Ann Warren spent her entire career waiting for Susan Sarandon to die. Uh, <laughs> so what you're saying is that there's a parallel universe where Liam Schreiber plays the Hulk. Yeah. A, yes. And B, <laughs> how... How great would that fucking be? He'd be a terrific Hulk. He would be. I mean, I like he's, he's absolutely, but he's absolutely in line along with okay. Banna and Bixby and like these sure. guys who they're just okay. sort of, sort of eggheady but cute. Ooh, yeah, no, I okay. Yeah. Here, slight digression. The reason, the prime, one of the primary reasons I like Ruffalo as the Hulk is because he's got a Hulk face, and when he hulks out, it still looks like him, and I really like that. Yeah. And nobody like. They try, but it just like doesn't work on. It doesn't work when you try to Edward Norton it up. You just get no. a, a Hulk with a little with a tiny nose, and it's weird. <laughs> oh, that's right. Norton played him too. Yeah. So yeah. that's really the same way. Uh, my wife absolutely has a crush on Ruffalo as Hot Hulk. Sure, Good. we all when have a crush on Hot Hulk Ruffalo with the with the sweater vest. Yeah. Yeah, with the sweater vest. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, really? That's your thing? And she was like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of you. And I was like, I don't know how I feel. That's ah, fine. It's fine. You should probably feel good. I should probably feel good. Uh, and eat my spinach. Uh, Peter Coyote comes in, and Peter Coyote. Oh, God. Uh, Peter Coyote is who you get when you want a James Woods who's not as much of a dickhead. <laughs> but he's really he's trying so hard. He to is be the biggest dickhead in a group of dickheads. He he is, uh, but Coyote is a naturally, and that's another thing. Everybody's kind of used wrong in this movie. I think Coyote mm. has a natural warmth. I like him a lot. Uh, mm. I think people probably know him best as the scientist in E.T. who's got a thing for Elliot's mom. Oh. <laughs> but I, Coyote is just one of those, uh, he's one of those character actors, like a David Strathairn almost. Like he's just, he's a good utility guy who just has a very natural inner life. Uh, and that's just beaten down to nothing in this. And he just plays sort of like, he plays like a military cog. 
So what you're saying is that at the beginning of E.T., when they see E.T.'s tracks and they say it's coyotes again, they're referring to Peter Coyote. That is correct. Okay. And, and how dare you? Uh, <laughs> also, if you ever if you ever watch any any documentary about the hippie movement in the 1960s, Coyote is the guy that they bring in because he basically just lived on Hate Ashbury, uh, and but and now he can actually talk about it. <laughs> he can still he's still coherent. <laughs> okay. But I like him a lot. And uh, like everyone in this movie, he's completely wasted. But he basically says, all right, let's start the movie. There was no plane crash. It's a spaceship. And the reason why you're here, uh, my friend Dustin Hoffman, is because you wrote a paper a million years ago during the Bush administration about what we should do and how we should go about it if we ever meet the aliens or have alien contact. So now here we are. And we grabbed everyone you listed on, on this nice shopping list of people that you yep. provided for all us. Your, all, all your favorite people in one room. We put together a boy band of smart people. Basically, we, we have the astrophysicist one, the math one, the biologist one, blah, blah, blah. And we meet, uh, we meet the other members of the team. Samuel L. Jackson, hooray, is in this. Uh, and yeah. He's the mathematician. And then Sharon Stone is in this, and she is the biologist. And her and Dustin Hoffman have some kind of unspoken past, which means they boned. That's what it means. They mega boned. You know, I, I don't so look much. at this movie and think that anyone can get it, but they tell me. <laughs> Sam Jackson could absolutely get it in this movie. In this movie? Yeah. Yeah, he uh, didn't you see didn't you see half his ass? Looked really good. I <laughs> it was it was probably the happiest I was. He was nude. It was great. He looked real good. Of all people in this cast, he's the one who gets the ass shot, and I was kind of here for it because yeah. I kind of, I also want to believe that that was that was Sam going like, "Hey, everyone, you know what? Here's what I think of this movie. Here's my actual ass. <laughs> Here's half of an ass. Yeah. Oh, yes, because he, he didn't yes. even full ass. No, nope. no, just half assed. Yeah. Oh. I, I will give I will give this movie credit for for something. Despite what I said earlier, it does not particularly like sexualize Sharon Stone's character at all, except in the except in reference to her having had sex at least once. But like you know, this is look, this is a movie where people are wet constantly, and yet the audience stays dry. Yeah, and when you got Sharon Stone in a movie where you can where where she can be wet all the time and potentially just be wearing like an undersea tank top, they didn't do that. And uh, you know what? Good on them. On the other hand, her makeup is perfect the entire time. <laughs> that doesn't even. You know what? I think I, I I agree with you. And that it it's not that it didn't occur to me. It's just that I was so angry at everything else. But like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she is literally only in this movie for like her acting ability and for uh, her ability to radiate kind of like intelligence and competence. And I don't think she gives a good performance, but she's not being exploited in it, which I don't think you can say about a lot of movies from the 1990s for Sharon Stone. I've only seen this and Total Recall. You haven't seen Basic Instinct? So I, I actually have no context for Sharon Stone. You haven't seen Halle Berry Catwoman? I technically I have. Okay. <laughs> so Sam Jackson is not into any of this. He's like, "What? What are we doing? We're going underwater. I don't like it." Boo. I certainly hope that nothing messes with our brains and makes us manifest our thoughts. 
Boo. <laughs> exactly what he says. Meanwhile, Beth, uh, Sharon Stone is Wait, wait, wait. Completely... Is this still on the surface? Yes, this is still on the surface. Yeah, don't worry. Don't we'll worry. Be, okay. You're don't, gonna let us know. We'll tell you when we go anywhere oh. else. All right. Okay. I was. In, I was. I was. Or we'll call you for we late. All right. Like. All right. Uh, Thank you. The coral has. It's too much coral for this for this <laughs> spaceship to have just crashed, and turns out it cut an undersea cable somehow, and due to be an immobile object, very large, and uh, covered in sharp coral. <laughs> Yeah. It's been here for 300 years. Good thing it's made out of super strong metal or something and survived the crash intact. Good thing. Good thing. It's And it's spherical, right? No, no, Not no. Yet. It's, kind of, no. it's kind of pancakey. We get, we get some of like the, the thrusters, but mostly it's just this big fin. It's just a big fin. Just yeah. a big fin. It's really, it's, it's, it's kitted out. Now we get a montage of... Uh, are for intrepid explorers being asked whether they need their glasses or not. Being asked intrusive questions about their personal lives. <laughs> yes, and Sharon Stone's character is set up as, in big neon letters, a mess. They're like, do you drink? And she's like, yeah, I enjoy drinks. And they're like, what's that scar? And she's like, it's a car accident. And like, do you do drugs? And she's like, I'll pop half a Zanny now and again. So she sounds very normal, is what she sounds. Yeah, she sounds uh, she and her eyes and her eyes are like darting around the room and she's and we're just like, oh, yeah, I guess she's our head case. Fine. Fine. Yeah, that's our head case. So if uh, I understand correctly, this is a top secret, super important government operation of some kind off, probably even off the books. And they have flown these four people in and now they're asking them some questions about about themselves. Because I guess they did zero research before they before they decided to make them a first contact team. Nope. It was in it was in a paper that well, you know what? Thank God. Here's why they did that, Anna, my good yeah. friend. Uh, yeah, they didn't vet them for security they, purposes. They didn't have anyway. to because uh Dustin Hoffman wrote a, a term <laughs> paper uh during the Bush administration saying these people, these three people are great. These are the three people you want for this. They're great. And don't look up anything about that. And I definitely didn't kiss one of them. <laughs> right. Well, this is like, you don't need to get your blood pressure checked to to ride on a boat. But if you want to go underwater in the fancy submarine, you're going to have to get your blood pressure checked. And maybe you shouldn't just wear glasses to look smart. For example. Plus, they also have to have like eight hours of dive training following this, and thankfully, <laughs> the movie skips it. You say that. <laughs> it's true, but it's like, it's weird, though, because it's like, you've got to do all this training, and then, then it's basically like, well, now we're in the submarine. I wish there was an intertitle to let me know if time has passed. <laughs> it's like, you're absolutely right, Corey. What this movie doesn't need is more stuff in it, but I would have happily traded a scene of all four of our actors sitting on the crunchy paper bench in a doctor's <laughs> office and being like, I need glasses. I don't need glasses. I don't do this. I'm my neck. I got a scar, blah, blah, blah. Like that sort of exposition 
can be done while we're seeing them train to be super duper dangerous deep sea drivers that's why i i forget uh i don't know if it's save the cat or adventures in the screen trade but there's an exposition trick that they call the pope in the pool which is to say if you want to deliver dry exposition make the surrounding scene so interesting that people are okay with people feeding you stuff that you need to know, which is to say if there's a scene of dry exposition, but it's taking place in a scene where the Pope is standing in the pool, splashing around, (laughs) there's still an interesting thing happening. It's a very heightened example, but like all of this information that we get could have been while they were like suiting up or jumping into the pool or doing whatever. And none of that is happening. It's literally just these characters staring directly at the camera and going, I take a Xanax once in a while. I almost wonder if it's supposed to like enforce the disorientation that like Hoffman's character's feeling. It's just like, bam, 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 information, rapid cut. You're going to be underwater. You're going to be pressurized. There's decompression for like a week afterwards. Blah, 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 blah. Is that going to be your excuse for for all the constant (laughs) issues with this film being disorienting? my excuse. I don't think she's (laughs) making an excuse. Yes, Corey, the stalwart defender of this film's integrity. She will will white knight uh, this Spears' integrity. I feel like Barry Levinson took a look at the four-hour cut or whatever and was like, this movie absolutely doesn't work. It's too long. When I cut it down, it's going to make no sense. But... If I chop it all to hell and gone, like I put it in a blender, I can claim that I was making it disorienting on purpose. Like a real director would. Um, I miss miss Bugsy. The one thing that this movie, the movie painfully and painstakingly sets up exactly 100% of everything. So there is zero surprise when it actually happens, except Mm. for this. Uh, We get a very long talk on the dangers of going underwater into a highly pressurized situation and then coming up and not getting depressurized. Oh, God, right yeah. And I, so I sat back and did one of these with my hands behind my head. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, this, I can already tell I'm not going to enjoy this, but at least I am going to see one of these A-list actors explode. <laughs> you got some fizzy blood going on. That is the thing that the movie promises. <laughs> It does promise some fizzy blood that we do not get. We do get we do, we do get to see them in the decompression tank. I don't want to talk about it. But for now an we're hour. in the deep, the deep. And everyone's taking a nice little float down in a submarine. There's classical music. They get to look out the little tiny window after yeah. getting like jostled and turbulenced and being like, "What's that noise? Why is it creaking?" Uh, Samuel L. Jackson can identify the classical music that is playing, which is lazy screenwriter for He's Smart. Yeah. When we started, before we started watching this movie, Jen made a prediction that Sam Jackson was going to play the the cool, loose canon scientist who listens to really cool music. And every time Sam Jackson listens to music in this movie, it's not cool. And I pointed it out to her each time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's not cool music. Is this the least cool that Samuel L. Jackson has ever been in a movie? Perhaps. Hmm. I haven't seen his entire filmography. It's impossible. You wouldn't be able to. You'd have to start now <laughs> and true. live six would... more lifetimes. <laughs> That's a good point. So what you're saying is that Sam Jackson's filmography has, extent, has exceeded his own 
potential lifespan and has become fractaline. If any performer were to have that happen to them, how could it not be Samuel Jackson? Maybe Michael yeah, okay. King. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, you're not wrong. There's a river at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Remove the water, carry the water. Wait, this is my beautiful submarine. <laughs> That's what we learn. We learn that uh, there is like this fascinating current that is its own kind of pressure wave, which means that you could swim in it if you wanted to, except the water is so cold, you would be dead in under two minutes. Underline, underline, underline. You would be dead of hypothermia in under two minutes, swimming at the bottom of the ocean, full of mystery and wonder. If you swim in this water, you will die of freeze. However, they go on to say that if you swim in it for anything less than two minutes, when you climb out, you'll be fine. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely text. You won't have some hypothermia. You'll just be okay. It's two minutes or nothing. The temperature is not the only thing to worry about. Down here in this is coral tunnel. Snakes, uh -huh. venomous snakes, the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> At the bottom of the ocean. You won't even know you've died. Like, woo, snakes. Uh, and that's delivered to us via Sharon, <laughs> Sharon Stone, biologist who knows what snakes are. And, and then Samuel Jackson is like, we got to get these motherfucking snakes off this motherfucking ocean. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> please, please consider me for this year's podcast awards. Yes. Uh, look, and then Liv is nervous, and we get a little more revelations that Stone and Hoffman, uh, there's somebody who's like, oh, the pressure's attacking the integrity of the craft. And she's like, well, you'd know all about that, wouldn't you, Dustin Hoffman? Pressure attacking integrity. We boned. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good burn, to be fair. So they pan over the habitat following the big spaceship fin, and they get told there's like two other people there, but you may never hear them speak or see their faces. Don't even, don't even think about them. One of them might be Queen Latifah. Don't look too close. Oh. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, at this point, I was like, I was promised coral all over this fucker, and there's no coral to be seen because it's just at the bottom. Queen Latifah basically kind of sort of plays the same role that uh, LL Cool J plays in Deep Blue Sea, where she's, uh, you know, just like, no, all not right. not at all. Well, <laughs> LL Cool J has a way bigger role in Deep Blue Sea. Let me finish. Uh, okay. It's sort of, it is the same, it's the same instinct. It's not, they are not texturally the same, but they are uh, in the movie for the same reason, which is to say, let's put a rapper in the movie so we can seem like we are on right. top of putting rappers in a movie. All right, should they do anything? Absolutely not. Now, LL Cool J does have a lot more to do in uh, Deep Blue Sea, but they are basically functionally doing the same thing, which is like, we put a rapper in the movie, they obviously can't be one of the stars, so we'll have them, we'll have this guy be a chef, we'll have Queen be the person who like looks at screens and does technical stuff, and this gives her even less to do than uh, what LL has to do in Deep Blue Sea, uh, because this movie is bereft of imagination and it is such a waste of Queen Latifah, who is a wonderful goddamn performer. And in here, she's just like, we got dials and knobs and I'm looking at them. She's the lady on the radio that guides them into their parking spot. And yeah. the other person, uh, oh, 
Uh, she's playing Alice Teeny Fletcher, the one person with three names that get yelled. And yes. uh, Marga Gomez plays Jane Edmonds, who... Jane Edmonds has really good hair. We maybe learn the name Edmonds over halfway through the movie. Yeah. The only two things we know about her, basically, is that she, in my opinion, has a really good pixie cut. Like, real nice. Oh, her hair's real nice. And... She has she 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 has a gap between her front two teeth, which is important for identifying the body later. Pixie cut, it's like a bob. Okay, like a bob. I don't. Anyway, it's a really nice. It's cool, and I like. And I wish. I wish he had a lot more. Sharon Stone has on. a pixie cut. Yeah, you're right. Okay, look, I'm not good at identifying haircuts. I just want to say there's two important distinctions between Queen Latifah and LL Cool J in the respective films. It, which is that a LL Cool J is not in deep blue sea to be to be the first one to die because he's black, and Queen Latifah does not provide a rousing song about sphere over the ending credits. Both okay. Well, the first one, <laughs> God, I don't even know where to start. The second one is certainly a missed opportunity. Yeah, right. Yeah. I want to hear. I want to hear Queen Latifah's sphere rap. It's <laughs> detailing detailing the plot of the film so that finally we know what happened. It's just such it's such a cynical use of her because it's just it like let's it's just terrible. look we're just go, we're just gonna get we'll get people to be like holy shit Queen Latifah's in this uh, I like her and other things and she she just has not a goddamn thing to do I hope she gets killed by jellyfish in the first forty five minutes oh and she is the first to die and then Jane uh, is the second person to die I believe she also <laughs> basically die by credit order yeah credit order and skin tone basically it's yep. fucking gender terrible. also very big and divide. Yeah. yes yeah. yes it's interesting because through the whole, because Sam Jackson spoiler actually makes it to the end of the movie and at first I was like that's great they let him live for the whole movie oh right there were two other brown people in this brown women that they <laughs> killed absolutely as quickly as they fucking quit it's true somehow when i was a child fletcher was my favorite character even though she's kind of a nothing person in this entire movie like i just like that a, a woman who could operate a radio oh yeah uh, they, uh, they now get into the habitat where they're going to be living at where they are breathing helium to help deal with the pressure. So we have one of the only scenes that is actually going for comedy or levity. Uh, they, uh, they all talk with funny voices, uh, cause they're all breathing helium and Liam Schreiber's mansplaining what helium is while well, he sounds like, you know, well, he sounds like this. Uh, and then Peter Coyote is 80 yard in to say, Turn on your pretend voice changers so you don't have these voices through the whole movie. And in my mind, I'm just like, I'm sorry. If they talk with these high-pitched voices through the whole movie, it is instantly a better movie. I guess they did this because Crichton likes to try to pretend he's hard sci-fi sometimes. But they didn't want they didn't want to deal with that in the actual film, so they did some hand wavium. Also, I wish this technology did exist and I could just put it on and have a lady voice, because that would be very convenient for me. <laughs> Helium? Helium exists, Anna. Not the helium, the voice changes. The, the voice of a lady. I want to uh, set it to I want to yeah. set it to girl. <laughs> instead of instead of all this work I have to do to shorten my larynx and stuff. Yeah, the only voice changers on the market that I know of are like they make you sound like Optimus Prime, which is <laughs> yeah, not or, or, or screaming McScreamerson yeah. from the Scream films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what I'm going for. Or a dancing hamster. Anyways, everyone puts on different clothing and talk about <laughs> uh, wastewater. The <laughs> spacecraft. There's a conversation about whether or not you can pee in your suit. 
Um, and that's kind of funny too, I guess, in theory. Yeah. I think a bunch of the dialogue in this movie is improvised. Yeah, maybe. Just like a bunch. It's hard to, I mean, it's so joyless. That's my there only thing. Script writers. <laughs> I feel like, feels and like I'm sure a million script. more. Oh yeah, absolutely. There doesn't nobody in this movie is alight with the joy of in, of instantaneous creation. I mean, maybe they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's nobody, there's nothing that, and maybe they try a line and they're like, all right, put it in in that next take, and it's that. But there's, mm. it's just, there's nobody has an inner life. Nobody, uh, <laughs> this fucking movie. Anyways, look, so a bunch of stuff happens, and then they now they're walking towards the spaceship. They're walking underwater because they're all expert divers now, and they're just really good it at it. It just takes guys. like forever for for them to get to the spaceship and get inside the spaceship. It just takes so long. Well, they fill that with talking with about the venomous snakes that could kill yeah, you yes. underwater, and then they get into a, a an airlock that's a dry lock that, that spins and drains the water mm. out, and then they keep their suits on because who knows what kind of gases are in the alien vessel. And that way, they can leave after half an hour <laughs> because of their union mandated airtime. <laughs> union says you only get thirty minutes of air. Sorry, them's the rules. <laughs> They try to get the door. The door is locked uh, to the oh. airlock to get in the spaceship. So they try and jimmy it open. And that's what causes it causes it to like chip and crack. And Sam Jackson's upset because he's like, I thought this was unobtainium. Why is it chipping and cracking? What's going on? Why is this happening? And that, my friends, is never really actually explained. I think the explanation is that the like, it's not like the super amazing ship that like crashed down through the Earth's atmosphere. It just popped in where it was and it didn't need to be anything better. Oh, yeah, that makes that totally makes sense. Yeah. And then because it's a haunted house movie, a little the door, op the door opens and everybody's like, how'd that happen? <laughs> back to back to the the ship popping popping up underwater. What this reminds me of is that episode of Futurama where they go underwater, and somebody asks like how many atmospheres the ship is rated for, and they're like, "Well, it's a spaceship, so anywhere between zero and one." <laughs> so they clump around inside. There's like catwalks and pipes, and they have flashlights and little headlamps. And it's all human sized and like doesn't look alien at all. Yeah, it looks like a 1990s nightclub. Like it looks like they could shoot the grind here. <laughs> looks like looks like a set from Aliens. <laughs> when they saw that footprint in the dust, I became terrified that this was going to be a time loop movie. And oh. it's like, oh no, they've been in here already, and it's going to be real fucking annoying because I can I have a very limited uh, patience for time loops, but. Uh, that's not really it. But anyways, look, there are footprints everywhere. Let's do the smart thing. Let's split up. <laughs> Let's, okay, you guys fucked, so you go together. I guess the rest of us will go together. You guys have a bond that we can't we, ever separate. We learn a little more about this paper that, uh, that Hoffman wrote during the Bush administration. He's like, look, some of it was researched and some of it was cribbed from Asimov and Sterling. And I was like, well, and that kind of sums up Michael Crichton's entire writing career. And also, so he never told her he was married. Yes. Also, he got paid 35K for his, for his work. So I, 
yeah, relatable. If somebody asked me to write this thing for 35k, I'd do it. I'd bullshit my way through that. For the Bush administration? Wouldn't you, like, pull anything out of your ass? For the Bush administration? Of course. I would yeah. do... I would, <laughs> be like the last, the last 50 pages are just excerpts from the Oliver North trial. <laughs> Yeah, and so we get we get we get both of those expositions. Uh, we get both that they humped and that uh, he made up a bunch of stuff in his paper. And now they're on an elevator. He's basically a shitbag. Yeah, he's not a good guy. He's not a good man. He's a bad man. He's a bad man. <laughs> yeah, named him incorrectly. They get yes. startled by an elevator moving, and then yeah. we get to go look at the other group to see what fun things they're up to. <laughs> <laughs> and they find a trash can. It says garbage. Trash. Yeah. Um, it's the movie telling on itself. Garbage Bazura. Um, <laughs> Bazura. Is that Italian for trash? I don't know. This movie has no idea what the future is like yeah. that this chip came from. That's the, uh, the closest is the, like, what if we had two languages on there to show that like some the stuff is a little different up the timeline? Timeline? I'm going to write that down for later. Michael Crichton said. <laughs> Do not watch that movie. Do not watch Timeline if you have not seen I was it. Not, I was not planning to. It's not, it's not going to come up. I don't want to watch a movie about people going back in time. Gross. So Peter Coyote, Sam Jackson, and Liam Schreiber find the trash can uh, where the movie should go. And then Huffman and Stone find a dead body uh, who's all scrunchy and mummified and is holding a pack of blue diamond almonds in one of the weirder pieces <laughs> of product placement. I thought it was going to be a hostess fruit pie, and that made me want a hostess fruit pie. Yeah, somewhere somewhere in my head there's like a Pepsi can or something, but that might be like Enemy Mines Coke can. Oh. And then we're back with Sharon Stone, and she finds a touchscreen display that's from the future. Uh, but maybe it, the past. They don't know for sure because... These idiots didn't didn't only use two two numbers to indicate the year. Oh, that's right. It's like all of the ships, all the captain's logs are from. Uh, they just say forty three, so we don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah it could be seventeen seventy six or nineteen seventy six or fifty billion. Seventy six. Yep. <laughs> exactly. I actually said at this point. Sorry, I said at this point that I was certain it was 2046 because I could not believe that the English language would still be comprehensible in the year like 2146. That's interesting. You think this movie would just pull that out right now? <laughs> Look, this movie pulls a lot of stuff out of thin hair, all right? I think we're going to get like Arrival and it's like, oh, we have to decode this language. Turns out it's English. <laughs> this is exactly the point at which at which Jen and I started talking about Arrival instead of paying attention to Sphere. Wait a minute. This this garbage can, it's got English letters on it, but it says Chugi. We've got to figure out what this means. It's all just it's all just it's all TikTok slang. Oh God, no. Okay. I've had I've had this thing running in my head all week for no apparent reason of like a modern Seinfeld scene where George is like, she called me Chugi, Jerry. Am I Chugi? Jerry's like, is that good? Like, I don't know, maybe it's bad. And Kramer's like, I'm definitely juky. Anyway, it's nothing, it's just in my head. It is a show about nothing, and it is in your head. <laughs> and I can't, can't be different than I am. 
So they go through the captain's log, and it's like, we did this, and then we went here, and then unknown event. And she was like, do you want to know more? So she clicks it, and suddenly the entire the entire it's they're they're on the holodeck and it's just like yeah. asteroids and planets and shit and it's weird that they set it up like this in yeah. the first place <laughs> it's a little weird you hit the button that says unknown event do you expect to get an asteroid directly in the face no nope. i expect a i expect a report of some kind yeah. Why was it designed like that in the first place? And it's like, and if you check this, like, let's look at that security cam footage. Is suddenly like Sam Jackson naked taking a shower in front of you? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know it. <laughs> what are you gonna do? That's not too bad. And then they look, we find a sphere, and there's a sphere. Yeah. It looks like complete ass. It looks like shitty, shitty CGI. It looks terrible, and uh, CGI Godzilla. Uh, from the Matthew Broderick movie uh, has held up better than this fucking sphere. I hate it with all my heart and passion. I didn't, I couldn't get it up to be so mad at it because it was just like, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a big gold ball of energy and it's fine. Like it's like, look, you know what it looks like? It looks like a bunch of half-assed CGI. It looks, look, okay, let me, let me, I'm going to put this in terms that y'all, y'all will understand. It looks like common writer level CGI. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fight you on this. It's not great. <laughs> Look, it's not great. No, come on, let's do it. It's just, I think in the sort of the pantheon of terrible 90s CGI, this is like, because it's not, because there are two types of terrible CGI in my mind. And to sure. me, the one that bothers me is the stuff that is supposed to look like normal stuff that they did with CGI and looks terrible. Best example, uh, the Expendables movie and uh, the blood squibs, which are not squibs. Like somebody oh, get somebody gets CGI blood. It looks awful. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. CGI blood, CGI cars, CGI buildings, mm. whatever. This is just supposed to be a big fucking spaceship earth of golden shimmering energy. And it's like, it's fine. I don't know how much better it needs to be. It's the titular sphere. I feel like I feel like they could have put a little more effort into it. Look, it doesn't look like flying toasters to me. It doesn't look okay. it doesn't look like a shitty like Sega Dreamcast. You know, it's like which was fine at the time, but it has aged. I'm Do sure. not come come for the Dreamcast, sir. <laughs> I would I would not dream of it. Okay. <laughs> Strong feelings. No, it's a great system, but it's just like you look at it now and it's like, I don't know what they, but I don't know. Corey, what did you think of the sphere? Obviously, this is very important. It's a fine sphere. It's colorful uh, and right. it's in the same room as them. It's compositing. Fancy. It very fancy. It looks I like it's somewhere else. I could care it. less about okay. it looking fake because it's just a big sphere. It's one about <laughs> any of the things that a computer could draw. They picked a sphere and they did it. <laughs> All right. Well, fine. I'll keep my sphere shit talk to myself from here on in. They they're like it's a sphere. It's a and not only is it a sphere, it's an absolutely perfect sphere. And they talk about the concept of like if you can draw a sphere for a circle freehand, it's the sign of an amazing artist and the history and Zen and Buddhism and it's none of it comes <clears throat> to anything. No. They're just like, whoa, what a what a strong message being sent here by having this golden sphere that that's covered in like squigglies. 
they don't measure it or anything. They just say, I bet it's a perfect sphere. They don't actually just, they make this big, this assumption that they never follow up on as scientists. Anyway, so it basically looks like the golden snitch with no wings. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like in real life, the kilogram is a very interesting <laughs> thing. Right? Right? It's true. Making a perfect sphere is cool. But in this movie, it's not. <laughs> it's not that cool. <laughs> nobody has any scientific, any real scientific curiosity in this movie at all. And nobody has anything interesting. Like, why is it a sphere? I don't know. Did you know that it takes a great artist to draw a perfect sphere? Yeah, that's true, I guess. All right. Well, let's never talk about it again. The only right? inter the only interesting thing that comes up in this scene, really, besides the fact that it's a giant sphere that's supposed to fill us with wonder. And it didn't. So, Anna, to your point, maybe it didn't do the <laughs> thing it was supposed to it do. It was not full of mystery and wonder. <laughs> it reflects everything in the room but our four intrepid scientists, says Sam Jackson. Mm -hmm. You remember when uh, Dustin Hoffman was talking about first contact back at the beginning of the movie and said that the most likely uh, emotion people would feel is terror, and instead they seem to feel like disinterest. And then Peter Coyote just reaches out and touches the sphere with his hand. Yeah, he's just like, I'm just going to touch the sphere now. He's just like, I'm pretty sure people didn't make this thing. I mean, like, <laughs> you know the ship is American. We know the ship is American because there was English <laughs> on the boat. And could be Canadian. You don't know. Yeah. You know what? Uh, you know what? It doesn't look like he's doing. It doesn't look like he's touching a sphere at all. No, there's no sense of interaction with the sphere. I'm sorry. You would think, as scientists, there would be some analysis. <laughs> there would be some analyzing that would happen. Anything? <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Wait, no, I've got it. I've got it in my ear right now. Oh, we're at the analysis chapter. We get the title: oh, The Analysis. You know what the analysis is? Like, let's just hang out at the, the coffee bar <laughs> and grab some snacks, like some Doritos from the cupboard and, and coffee, you know, like Dr. Goodman made some fresh coffee and everyone's enjoying that. And uh... they come to the conclusion that the ship must have flown into a black hole and then just zizzed itself magically at the bottom of the bottom of the ocean uh, 300 oh. years ago. And it does the stupidest, not the, it does the laziest piece of writing, mm. which is. Basically, somebody at the table is like, you don't have to explain a black hole. And then Dustin Hoffman's like, I don't know what a black hole is. You better explain Ugh. it to me. And it's like, Dustin Hoffman's character, you fucking know what a black hole is. Have you not seen the film The Black Hole from Walt Disney Pictures? <laughs> or Event Horizon? Here's the thing that bothers me is that Leif Shriver spends like, I don't know, half an hour being like, I bet I know what happened. This It went into a black hole and blah, blah, blah. And then Sharon Stone's like, yeah, we saw that happen. You're right. And it's like you didn't on the way back none of you were talking about what you saw in the ship it takes you like half an hour to walk across the ocean and you just like swapped some limericks or something what the fuck? yeah meanwhile peter coyote's in a different room checking his dms on twitter and the ship of the <laughs> them is like hey there's there's some bad weather coming so uh get out get out now stormy weather or we're all gonna go away and together. I don't think they tell them to leave. I think they're just like, hey, we're all going to yeah. go like do donuts around the ocean and then come back. <laughs> well, they, no, I think they say like if you, you either leave now before the storm hits or you're down there for the duration. Saying that no one has any scientific inquiry in this film is like Ted's here. He doesn't want to leave <laughs> oh, because there's 
questions and answers maybe to be found down here. Where's your sense of, of inquiry and, and, yeah. and getting a Nobel Peace Prize, you know? <laughs> right. And Sharon Stone's like, this isn't my field. We're the wrong people for this. This isn't first contact. I went out. And Dustin Hoffman's like, yeah, me too. Peace. And he's just, Hoffman's doing real mumble grumble acting in this scene. Ugh. Jackson's like, hey, you guys, the sphere's alive. And that's why, <laughs> that's why it's with the sound of music. And he's naked and <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is flossing his teeth. He's flossing two teeth simultaneously, which freaked Jen out so much. She's like, is that how you floss your teeth? I'm like, no. <laughs> By the way, in this case, Samuel Jackson's left butt cheek is the Pope in the pool. Oh, I see. Hoffman does a little light psychoanalyzing of Sam Jackson and he's like, yeah, you know, you want to figure this out because you want to do better than Liam Schreiber or something. You two are competitive with each other and I'm a psychoanalyst so I can say stuff like that. And then uh, and then Jackson's like, you know what? You're probably right. But also, here's an interesting thing to consider. We're all going to die down here. And he's just sitting in his little cubby, and he turns off his little light as if that's the end of the story. And, and yeah. Dustin Hoffman's just standing there, taking a shoe off at the foot of the bed. Is like, what? <laughs> and this is probably the smartest thing in the movie. Uh, it's an interesting concept, uh, and it, it does a lot of heavy lifting as far as just like time travel and paradox goes. I, I didn't mind it. Where Sam Jackson's like, the ship comes from the future, and it says it encountered an unknown event, but it wouldn't be unknown because we're here figuring it out right now. If it's still an unknown event, then we never told anybody, ergo, we died. There's a lot of other potential reasons why that could not have happened. The information could have been suppressed. Something happens to make them not want to no, tell. No, that's the only I mean, reason. There's a lot of other potential no, they die. reasons for it. They died in here. Like, Sam Jackson's like, I know my lips. They're loose. They sink the ships. There's no way if I get topside, I'm not blabbing this whole thing. There are completely and totally other options, but for the purpose of an undersea thriller, <laughs> where we don't know whether our is characters are going to live. I guess an undersea sci-fi thriller where we want to start a ticking clock and saying like, okay. Oh, unless something happens, it seems like these people are going to die. It lights a fire under the movie's ass that nothing quite else does. Nothing happens as a result of it, but it's the big wonky you tried star. It makes me absolutely distrust Samuel L. Jackson for the rest of my life. Really? No, no. It's just the rest of the movie. I'm just like, that's weird and creepy. I don't like you. That's the only weird, creepy thing he does for the rest of the film. And speaking of creepy, he's creeping away. He's creeping away from our habitat, and uh, mm. he's uh, he's just heading for the sphere. How do we know that the sphere is involved in this part of the film at all? Chapter the sphere. Oh. There's warning lights going off. Norman's running through the hallways. <laughs> Fletcher, the hero of the story, is like, hey, I've got everyone on camera and I can, I've can. i been watching you all for days. Uh, time has definitely passed and somehow your, your buddy is outside heading into the sphere. I thought it was just after his nap. So, yeah. It, it could be a long nap. Some of these people sleep through everything. Like, come on. It's true, but they did say, like, that Captain Coyote did tell them to, like, go take a couple hours nap before they go up to the surface to get their chi aligned or something. That's it. That's why. <laughs> that was what, It was definitely something like that. They're, they're circadias. 
That was the yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was that they had to lower their metabolism before decompression because then it would be a little easier on them. And yeah, yeah what if it's... what if they get all worked up again after their nap though? Like by a bunch of sirens and lights. <laughs> and they start running around. Are they all check their phones and they read the news first, which I do every morning? <laughs> no, no. 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 But they try to they're trying to do the wordle and they're like on they're on the sixth guess and they don't oh. know if they're gonna make it. Coyote's plans are completely ruined anyways because they can't leave a man behind. And we've seen that man's behind. And uh, Ted and Beth are missing too. (laughs) Peter, this leads into the part of the film where all that Peter Coyote does is shout at everybody for the rest of his time on on the screen. No regrets, He just gets mad and shouts and blames everybody else for things that... Like, he's really mad at Dustin Hoffman for not keeping an eye on Harry while they were sleeping. And like, you picked him, you should be his babysitter. And I'm like... You're in charge of this entire operation. I I think all of this is your job. I don't think it's Dustin Hoffman's job. Job he takes regardless. Uh, Dustin God. Hoffman suits up and takes a little stroll down the bottom of the ocean to uh, the spaceship to go retrieve Sam. Yay. But Sam's out cold. Sam's just on, he's he's curled up like a little, like a, just well, sleeping like a little chair well, up underneath I mean, the You know, Dustin rolls in the big sphere room, <laughs> empty, empty for a moment, and then Sam Jackson kind of teleporters in at his feet, yeah. unconscious. Good thing we caught it all on camera because Peter Coyote set up cameras earlier, which is yeah. what his job is. He's pretty sure his job is to just watch this video of this sphere. And then... The sphere chooses to reflect Dustin Hoffman, and then all the lights go kaplooey with the thing and the deal. And we we understand we are to understand that Dustin Hoffman has now also been in and out of the sphere, and yeah. that happens. There's, and there's a tremendous effect whenever anybody like looks at the sphere where their reflection comes comes out of it, and then slides up over the surface of the sphere, and it looks exactly like the quality of animation when Pucci returned to his home planet. That looks like shit. I have your back on that, Anna. Thank you. And again, and that is again because they are trying to, they're not, when with with making the sphere, it's not like they're trying to replicate other giant golden spheres made of energy. But the second that it has to be like a Samuel L. Jackson or a Dustin Hoffman, uh, to me, it looked like whenever a cartoon character gets rolled over by a steamroller. Yes, exactly. And they're just real flats. They're Mr. Flats and they get flatsed up into the sphere. It's just, it's dumb. All right. So now they're stuck down there because they're just stuck because they couldn't leave a man behind. Because the submarine's not coming because it was too late. And it's not actually anybody's fault, but Peter Coyote's mad at everybody anyway. This is the part where he just shouts at Sharon Stone that she's crazy for no apparent reason for like five minutes. Uh, no, this is the part where Beth's doing doctor stuff because she's definitely a doctor. Right. And she's like, I checked him. He's <laughs> just sleeping. Yeah. Right. She's a marine biologist, not not a doctor, actually. And then Ted, the astrophysicist, is like, he couldn't have gotten in the sphere. There's no doors. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she's an astrophysicist. And it's a stupid statement, and Samuel Jackson responds with another stupid statement that is meant to sound smart, which is, well, this place is filled with doors, but we can't go out. Uh, uh-huh. Think about it, and then, and then it's uh-huh. that tapping the head, think about it meme. Mm-hmm. Then we get a new chapter heading. I got the power! It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of spherical. We just get like Norman 
eating stuff and there's a jellyfish after Barnes is like, okay. I, I'm taking over the ship. I'm in control now. I thought he was already in control. Yeah. Who did he take it over from? Uh, himself. The thing detached. So now they're on, they're on auxiliary power. There's a thing that we find out is that every 24 hours, somebody's got to walk to the sub and put videotapes in it and then reset it because if anything happens to them, it goes up to the surface. Who cares? And at least they know what happened for a while. So Queen Latifah suits up with the, the videotapes from that day, mm -hmm. wanders over to the mini sub and then wanders back. And then there's a lot of jellyfish, way too many jellyfish. And she's like, whoa, look at all the pretty jellyfish. And then the jellyfish are like, there's a lot of us. She's going to be fine because she's got a suit on and they're just jellyfish. Oh, no, they're stinging through the suit. Uh, and they're like uh, bludgeoning yeah, and then her she just her shouts face. a lot about stuff. Uh, okay. So, mm. uh, so this begins a trend in the film of... Somebody being underwater in a suit while somebody's trying to talk to them on the radio where they're just shouting random gibberish and not communicating at all. And this happens so many times and I don't like it. And anyway, Clean Tifa gets killed by jellyfish some, somehow. A waste of the greatness of Queen Latifah. I would have rather seen the queen from Spencer be eaten by jellyfish that would have made by the way that would have made spencer i love that movie if at the end <laughs> queen elizabeth had been eaten by jellyfish at the bottom of the ocean then i would have been thrilled but instead i only have one note a manner unbefitting a queen i have one note which is that i think she should have been eaten by crustaceans to keep the the theme of the film spencer going like some some crabs and lobsters eater but aside oh, that from would that, have been great good ending it would have been great she drowns the computer does some number stuff. Oh, it's the Matrix. We get now it's Matrix. Except the numbers go up to like four. It's weird. It's very yeah. weird. Then, uh, for some reason, Beth is autopsying Queen Latifah and just pulling <laughs> goopy noodles off her face. It looks like vermicelli a little bit. Glass noodles. It absolutely. I got hungry. I was like, Ooh, I could go. <laughs> I could go for a big thing of glass noodles right now. That's. I want some gummy bears. Yeah. She's like, wow, this isn't really a jellyfish. And I'm like, what is it like a Portuguese man war? Is this like a, <laughs> like a group situation where it's not an individual animal? It's actually a colony. It's like, no, no, this, this is a made up jellyfish. I can tell I'm a marine biologist. For once, she's doing something in her field. <laughs> yes. The autopsy, not so much. Not so much. She's every kind of science doctor. In the book, it's like. These are prawns with no sex organs or internal organs or something like this. I don't know why it's prawns. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, so what you're what you're saying is they're like imitation jellyfish, like you get at the supermarket. Yeah, yes, like imitation crab. They're Pollock. Yes, it's what you get. Pollock. A, it's what you get in a uh, a California roll. It's not. Exactly. It's not the good stuff. <laughs> Hey, Sam's awake, everybody, and he's in the shed. That guy can't get okay. enough showers. Uh, and now, and he's not only is he awake, but he's peppy and he's singing Bally High from South Pacific <laughs> of all goddamn things. This is what I'm saying. He does not like cool music. Commander Barnes takes Norman to his office for a little side conversation where he's like, hey, I've got all your medical notes and records about Beth, the woman you shagged. And it says here she tried to to, to, to kill herself one time. Uh, why didn't you stop her from coming down here? Because, you know, if, if someone who's got depression goes underwater, they explode. Science. So... 
Remember, remember what I said earlier about how you think they'd have done their due diligence? They obviously even had the records, and he just like brought them down for some light reading. And now he's like, I guess I, I guess since we're stuck here, I should vet these people. And like, oh no, there's a problem. <laughs> it's just, it's just so stupid. It's the stupidest, most, oh, most condescending bullshit fucking thing that I'm so mad about. And it's just, and, and. And the movie never questions this. The movie basically acts like this is for, for completely rational. Obviously, the mentally ill can't do science. <laughs> Women that can't be underwater, you know, they get their menzies and then they go crazy. <laughs> so now Sam is in the little, he's in 10 forward or wherever the fuck. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's having, he's having a nice, he's having a nice meal and he's got the food crazies. Uh, he's just like, yeah. this is great toast. This is great orange juice. I love everything. I love eating. I don't have an alien in me or anything <laughs> like that. Wow. Did you make this eggs with a, a secret blend of 11 <laughs> herbs and spices? He's basically John Burton alien. <laughs> I'm like just waiting for a smear to pop out of it. Eating food is wonderful and there's nothing wrong with me. Meanwhile, uh, Sharon is doing very important scientific figuring. This is astonishing. This is one of my this is one of my favorite doodles in a movie and it comes to nothing. It is literally just her drawing circles and ovals and writing next to them egg, sphere, sphere, egg. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reviews mentioned this as like a low point in the movie it's just like she's a scientist no scientist is stupid enough to take notes like this and i'm like oh yeah i want to bet <laughs> maybe that's what she always doodles and <laughs> this just happens to be more relevant than usual <laughs> maybe she's trying to figure out which came first the sphere or the egg mm. eggs maybe. are like spheres you know what's good on eggs tarragon <laughs> <laughs> you know you know how you can tell when someone's like extra smart and maybe possessed by an alien is when they can taste the terracon in their eggs distinctly and chevra don't forget chevra <laughs> uh so question given given what we know at the end of the film why is any of this happening why is he being like this because nothing has happened that should have caused it he went in the sphere we all saw it yeah, but yeah. other people go in the sphere and don't become manic. Here's a spoiler. Dustin Hoffman went in the sphere, too, and he's oh! basically just the rest himself. What the? Yeah, I oh, know. it's uh, it's stupid nonsense. It's bullshit, and it makes no sense. You remember those footprints like they found in the spaceship? No, I don't. I just remember that the guy had a hostess fruit pot, and then Spider <laughs> Spider-Man used it to stop Doctor Doom. At the end. Sometimes when I'm bored, I make up my own movie. Dustin Hoffman keeps feeding Sam Jackson uh, and he's like, here, have some of this. I'm the cook now, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, what are these? Onion rings? No, it's a little calamari. And Sam Jackson starts having what I assume to be an allergic reaction. Yeah, like anaphylactic shock. Yeah. But it is not because that would be interesting. No, he just really hates squid. And so the mere mention of it makes him so terrified he can't breathe good. And I don't, I don't know if it works like that. Uh, so, okay, so I thought at first this was some kind of weird test that Dustin Hoffman was doing, and it was going to be like, aha, you're a squid alien now, and you don't want to eat your own kind. I knew it or something, but it's just like a thing that happens. It's just random shit. To establish that she's scared of squid, which we established 500 times later in the movie anyway. 
Well, the computer is doing spooky numbers None again. Of this makes sense. <laughs> so that's still happening. In addition to whatever nonsense they're all up to in the "we're gonna die" room, um, <laughs> and Ted's just like, "Oh man, this guy's trying to trying to get in on my book deal. Like he's gonna write about all of this ahead of me, and I'm gonna be too old." Too old to get the Pulitzer for physics. <laughs> older than 35. No physicist older than 35 has ever done anything. Your brain starts to atrophy immediately upon turning 35. The, the gem on the back of your hand starts flashing and they kick you out of science. <laughs> you have to go to carousel. It's terrible. Off to science carousel, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> now it's chapter The First Exchange. Everyone stares at the matrix code and everyone's like, what could this mean? And Liev Schreiber has this theory. It's like, uh, hey, I, I'm going to do science now. I'm going to say uh, saturation effect a thousand times. And what I took that to mean, what I think it means is that there's too much helium. And so it makes all of the chips weird. Uh, I think maybe it's electromagnetic. Yeah, it's like an electromagnetic thing in the computer. Where it's like, oh, the yeah. computer's got too much wibblies in it and so this is what the screen is just printing it's just random there's a light on one side that doesn't light up quite right so i have to take it back to yeah. my workshop if i turn it off and on again this this number nonsense will go away and then harry walks yeah. in and is like oh i i see uh it's a code it's a code it's it's obviously these numbers yeah. are a spherical keyboard you guys can't can't see a pattern in rapid in rapidly scrolling numbers like Fuck i can't which you. again there's no reason why you should be able to do this oh because the sphere is a sphere it would only see a keyboard <laughs> like a sphere so we gotta uh -huh. wrap a keyboard around a sphere and then then everything's a number and it's the quickest mm. it's the the quickest bit of cryptography in the history of bullshit film cryptography <laughs> yeah and then he rapidly just writes a program that'll decode and put the messages up on the screen and the things like yep. hello how are you uh i'm fine pleased to meet you everyone i'm jerry and then barnes is like oh no the alien's stupid oh that actually kind of made me stupid aliens need the most love first and foremost. <laughs> but yeah, they're just like, oh, it's an idiot. It's an idiot alien. That's too bad. And they think it's Hoffman who's like, no, it's just like, this is how you would speak. You know, it's clear. It's understandable. This might be how you would speak to an, a dog or a small child. Also, this thing hasn't talked to him for 300 years. And let's yeah. just be nice to Jerry. And meanwhile, Coyote's like, give me your name. Give me your last name. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I can't call you Jerry, Mr. Jerry. What do you what, what? You know who shouldn't be on this mission is Peter Coyote. Oh, you know who's not equipped for first contact? Peter Coyote. Well, Jerry's really happy that everyone wants to know all of the details about its inner life and thoughts and feelings <laughs> and history. And Uh-oh. Oh, and Coyote takes a swing at Stone for absolutely no reason. It's like, yeah. well, if it read your inner thought, Sharon Stone, it would be a, it would be delightful beachside reading because you're crazy. Remember, you're a crazy person. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh. Yep. 
her and Hoffman have the exchange. Like, why'd you tell him about me being crazy? And he's like, well, he's got your file and he only read it 10 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't understand the nuance yet. Also, I'm really concerned that this, that this alien has an an inner emotional life, because if he's happy, that means this is the line I remember from the trailer. What What if Jerry gets mad? That's Indeed. my Hoffman. I'm sorry. Indeed. <laughs> wait, wait. I'm starting to realize that him playing Mumbles and Dick Tracy was just a, was a, just a big joke. No, that's the whole joke. That's why he. That's literally why he played Mumbles. <laughs> yeah, when I was. Well, it's great. It's time for Sam to be extra creepy again and be like, "Hey, I got out of the sphere, and probably so did whatever else was in the sphere, and now it can come right over." Hear that knocking sound on the on the pod bay door? That's the alien. That's Jerry. Jerry's angry. Chapter the monster. Oh no, a monster! Wow, there's going to be a monster. I bet it's going to look really cool. I can't wait to see this amazing, these amazing special effects on this monster. Yeah, the alien that's knocking outside and it's just like, hey, anybody else hear that weird noise? Or am I already hallucinating? Are we at the hallucination stage of being underwater? So Stone and Hoffman go for an undersea walk to see what's going on, and they find Dead Lady with the nice haircut. Aww. And uh, and Stone's like, she's like a rag doll. She's been pulverized. Oh no. Probably by a giant squid, I guess. No, why would you think squid? And then eggs start <laughs> falling on them. Eggs. It's a whole lot of eggs. <laughs> yeah. And then Stone pulls out her notebook and goes, ah, see? See? Egg sphere. Egg sphere. It was here all along. And everyone just, the camera just pans over to Sam Harry reading uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's like, I don't understand why you think it was a squid. It's. <laughs> I'm just reading this book. Fi- I'm fine yeah. with the squid. It's okay. I'm not scared of the squid at all. <laughs> and and one of the eggs bursts open. There's a little squid in it. That's the only squid we see in this movie. <laughs> Those eggs look pretty good. I mean, not to eat. They look gross, but yeah. I want to squish one of them eggs. I want yeah. to give it a squish. That was they not bad. Cool. That was not cool bad CGI. I don't think that was CGI. I think they actually dropped a bunch of weird eggs on them. We'll never know because I'm not going to look it up and I don't, I stopped, I just no, stopped I think, I think a lot of this was filmed in a tank very expensively. Yeah. And I think that they actually dropped a bunch of fakey eggs on them. Either way, it looks cool. They grab dead squishy floppy Jane and they bring her back. <laughs> battle stations, chapter heading, battle stations, which makes Beluga. us think there's going to be a battle. And there mm-hmm. isn't. That doesn't well, happen. they're on their way to the battle stations, and they're like, hey, what's our game plan? And then Jerry's like, what's a game plan? And they're like, oh, no, he's been able to hear us this entire time. We shouldn't have been. We've been sexualizing him terribly. <laughs> they, uh, they they, basically are like, hey, Jerry, what's what's going on, buddy? And I'm sorry, I went, like Dean Ma- Jerry. <laughs> I went into Dean Martin for, hey, Jerry, oh. what's going on? Why are you- <laughs> I wake up in the morning and that's as good as I'm going to feel for the rest of the day. How'd all these people get in my habitat? Um, <laughs> how great would it be if Jerry sounded like Jeff? Ah, Dean, I'm a sphere. God, I'm a pretty stone, pretty stone lady. Let me, I just want you to manifest. I want you to manifest your inner feelings. Guy, pretty lady. Ah, oh, go, go, now I would see this movie. I would see this movie if it was Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis as the sphere. Together. The, wouldn't it be the road to the sphere or something? No, that's uh that's Oh Hope no, you're right. Crosby. That would be Hope and Crosby. No, yeah, it's for the Nutty Professor, so like Jerry turns into right. the sphere sometimes. Oh no, that would be awkward as hell. What if he was on a date? Oh, 
Well, that's funny. Now that's funny. Yeah, right. He's trying to, he's trying to woo a lady, and he starts turning into a sphere, and he drops his drops his fork. He's like, "Hey, my fork." Well, well, sphere. I guess I'm just. I got a got a case of spheritis. I'm sorry. It should clear up anytime, man. This summer, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis invite you to have a ball. <laughs> it's Sphere, the nutty Sphere Sphere Fesser. Now, pardon my ignorance, but I and I, because I can't recall, are they both dead already? They are both so dead. Dean Martin. Okay, and but Jerry we could Lewis. we could we could we could CGI those fuckers back up, right? Yeah, get the holograms. Oh, easy peasy. All right, look, it's battle stations. Battle stations, Jerry's being petulant, he's not responding, and now there's a real big squid. And we get an announcement, there's a pressure drop. It is you. Oh no, 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 it is you. There's a pressure drop, oh pressure, oh no, pressure's got to drop on you. Oh, so you're, <laughs> so you're, saying, they're, so you're saying they're under pressure. pressure. Dun, 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 dun. No, they're not, because they dropped. Yeah. Oh. There's less pressure. <laughs> Keeping us alive. Uh, Sam is taken asleep, and we see his eye, his eyelids reaming real hard, and the lights are all going kaplooey. And they could electrify the hull, but it would cause a fire somewhere, and that's no. But the only one who hears this piece of information is Sharon Stone, and she's crazy. Liev Schreiber tries to save the whole habitat by hitting the <laughs> don't destroy button. Directly with his head, yeah. Now it's a problem. There's too much pressure. Dun, 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 dun. And now there's a big argument. There's another. The ship has two levers or a oh. button and a lever. The button uh, gives us too much pressure. <laughs> and then the lever takes away all the pressure. Wings fall off. Wings stay on. This is, yeah. this is right. the room with pressure, but there's too much pressure. Right. So you might want to wear a hat or something. Right. And there are two people and one's always Sharon Stone and one's always Peter Coyote. Yep. And you have to choose which one to believe. <laughs> one of them always tells the truth and one of them always lies. One yes. of them screaming at you over the intercom. Being like, hey, pull the lever to electrify the hull. And the other one's like, no, that's going to start a fire. And we're already underwater and drowning. And there's a lot of water coming in. And he said it would start a fire. And he's like, no, don't listen to her. She's crazy. Here's the thing is that Peter Coyote is lying because that is true. But also, like, if they don't do anything, they're guaranteed to die. Whereas if they pull the lever, there's less guaranteed to die. But what if it was like a big pivotal moment in the relationship Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone have? They shouldn't be having a relationship at all. How's, how's she ever going to trust him again if he starts this fire? She shouldn't trust him ever again. He's a liar and a, and a liar. <laughs> He's a bad man. He's a double liar. He doesn't pull the lever and everything's fine. And they're no, like, he, hey, he, he, he does, does pull, pull the lever, the lever oh, and he starts pull fire. The lever. It's yeah. real, you know what? It's real. It, they don't, they don't, they do not like a, maybe a semi-competent film would do, do an insert shot showing him pulling the lever so you know for sure it happened. Oh, yeah. I guess I guess he pulled the But now everything's on fire. And Jerry's like, good morning, everyone. I'll kill you all. <laughs> so it's lights flashing, little flame pots bursting, fires yep. on the ceiling, fires on the floor, water everywhere. And I think the water would put out the fire. Uh, 
the emergency doors are closing, everyone's scrambling for fire extinguishers, and Peter Coyote wedges a box in the door so that he could sneaky sneak through it. <laughs> the big, heavy me- metal door. Peter Coyote was never cut out for underwater work. He is now. <laughs> well, he's cut out, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. It took me three guesses. It took me three guesses because I was like, oh no, someone else is dead. Is it? Wait, which one is it? I didn't know. I think for like 10, for a good five minutes, I was like, oh no, Liam Schreiber's dead. Oh wait, no, Liam Schreiber, wait. He's no. still here in this scene. Yeah. Well, that's because these action scenes are chopped up like somebody took a machete. Like they're they're chopped up like, uh, like William Burroughs may decide to edit this film. It's the this sequence, this sequence. No, you're absolutely right. And this, it's like they just pulled shots out of a hat. It's terrible. This sequence is, and this is where I completely agree that the editing is absolutely dreadful because this doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. Yeah. Anyways, look, more emergency stuff happens. Coyote gets chopped in half. Fire, fire, fire. <laughs> Leave Shriver gets plunked on the head. And then I lost my shit and laughed and laughed. And we were going to watch it again. Because it was so funny. Uh, Norman sees the I will kill you all message and has to have a little sit down because yeah. that's a lot to take in. Um, Ted's all like, I'm not sure hey, he's a very good get up, come on. And then he slips on the floor and face plants into the grates and then he can see. No, he some... doesn't slip. He gets clunked from above by a huge piece of metal. Which is on fire. It's just the way it happens out of nowhere. It just It's like com- it's comedy gold. He's just like flonk. And he falls forward, and then it collapses onto him, and then his his face gets burned off. He is essentially George Foreman grilled to death. He's <laughs> like, just... This is the sort of thing that would happen to Homer Simpson, except he would survive. I'm just saying. Everything's smashed. Uh, you know, they, they throw his... Everything's the, they, wet or burned. Yeah, they throw, they throw his body into the room full of bodies, and now there's just a stack of bodies... Every time someone dies, they do this insert shot of like the security cam footage of like the dead body room, and there's like just more. And I'm like, is one of them gonna Highlander? Like, if, so if, if it was just like Queen Latifah's body in there, and it was just and like, just ooh, spooky underwater zombies. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just it's so it's, funny. It's literally just the, them being like, oh, I don't know if people understand that people are dying. We got to put in a reminder. Yeah. There's some corpses, but, you know. Because the fire stopped for no reason. Literally no reason. Like, Beth got into the kitchen and then the fire just stopped. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman sitting in the room like, Jerry, why'd the fire stop? Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry. Oh, he says it so many times. And then Jerry's finally like, where is Harold and Ted? Where are they? They're great. Ted especially. Ted made me laugh. That Ted. Love that Ted. <laughs> You're the only one, Jerry. <laughs> we all found him really awful. And Hoffman's like, oh, yeah, he, uh, I choked. I was going to save him, God. but I didn't. And it's like, and I was like, you know how. What I, happened? Yeah, you know, Dustin Hoffman, there are probably other things your character can be judgmental to yourself about. But in this case, a, a Monty Python 200-ton weight that was on fire landed yeah. on him, and then he was pressed against a red-hot grate, and he there was nothing. And there was a gas explosion in space. He wasn't going to make it. And then Jerry's like, hey, what would you think of that squid? Pretty cool, huh? You want 20 more squids? I'll give you some squids. And Dustin's like, hey, Jerry, maybe cut, maybe, Jerry, baby, no more squid. 
Hey, Jerry, we got so many big squids for you. And then Jerry's like, I don't want to be called Jerry. And then we see a shot of the sphere and it's really creepy. And then Dustin Hoffman is wandering alone and wet through the hallways and it's all spooky and lights are flickering because they're on emergency power and everything's been on fire. And uh, Harry's in the kitchen reading 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He slept through the whole thing. You know what would be cool? As if we saw a giant squid in this movie. There was a picture of one on the radar. We never see it. Yeah, yeah. We never, never. Like, I can't. I can't believe we never see it. I mean, I could see this being oh, an I interesting can. choice, but but it's not. It's just it's just a cheap choice, and I hate it a lot. And I feel like somebody. I feel like it was justified all the way the, along the line. Is like, well, you know, in the book, they never see the squid because they're inside the the station, and like, you know, for verisimilitude, blah 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 blah. And it's like you just you just don't want to make a squid, do you guys? They showed us the jellyfish out the window. Mm-hmm. They have so uh-huh, many underwater uh-huh. diving suit scenes. Why wouldn't one of them be out there with like a little harpoon gun? Right? <laughs> I would just Why like didn't to we see, see Edmonds get crushed? I would crushed? like to see a big squid. I would like to be I would like to see a big squid in this movie that talks about big squid constantly. <laughs> I just want no, you only I just, get I sphere. to see a squid. Sphere is the monster. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a mistranslation. They transliterated wrong. It's supposed to say squid. Oh, so many things happen that I don't give a shit about, and we've been talking right? for so long. Okay, right? you want to you want to just just jet through the the nominal end of this film. Let's see. Beth's missing. Uh, Harry doesn't like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea because there was a scary oh. bit in it. And... Oh, Harry goes. Not Harry. Norman goes. Norman goes to take the tapes to the to the ship, and he's like, "Hey, Beth, watch watch me while I do this." And Beth's like, "A okay." And then he then he freaks out because he's got too many bubbles, and Harry has to like, and he does the thing where he just like rants about what's going on while someone tries to calmly talk to him, and then he manages to get back, and he's like, "Where was Beth?" And Harry's like, "Oh no!" And Beth comes back, and she's like, "I went to get food from the sphere because that's where the food is, probably because there's no food here." So I was hoping for like some cryogenically frozen Bordeaux or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. And then they have a big confrontation in the kitchen because the, the shelves are just packed with food. And Beth's like, yeah. hey, Harry, did you hide all of this after you tagged me out at the at the video monitoring station? Yeah. And he's like, why would I do that? And then Norman's like, I'm a psychoanalyst. <laughs> and I'm going to show you for 15 And I'm going to trust this other man because you're a crazy woman. And uh, who knows what you'll do? There is so much there's so uh, much schmacting and whacting happening. This is the scene where everybody bad. decides to use their outdoor voice. Yeah. And it is just it's awful. And it's it. what and you can and especially with Hoffman, you get you're just like this is what Dustin Hoffman, who for a period was one of the best actors of his generation, this is him on autopilot. This is him just who on and Al Pacinoing uh-huh. and just like if I'm quiet and then I'm real loud, you know, and it's yeah. it just it all sucks. Yeah. Did anybody from that generation sur- like manage to survive as a decent actor into like the two thousands? Like really? Like, I mean, I guess I guess De Niro had a bit of a resurgence, but real yes. Like, I mean, okay, so De Niro did that like that movie that people, The Irishman, but he also did the War with Grandpa. So I don't know, man. Well, it's a di- it, that's a slightly is that Hoffman's generation? If we're talking about. Uh. 
if, if we're talking about like that generation of quote of like method actors who all did like mm. Stella Adler or Stanislavski, like that era of like we yeah. all went to school for this and we came out and now we're like this. Who's still who's still got chops? I'm sure it'll come to me, but it's not coming to me right now. Any of the mm. the thing is is that any of these guys are capable of pulling out a good performance, but they just don't. No. Everybody's just everybody just I, wants uh, the money. I mean Hoffman was in was in uh Meet the Fockers for Christ's sake. Yeah. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium and shit. <laughs> Two copies. <laughs> 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 now the big confrontation shifts into who did or did not go inside the sphere because Beth went there for snacks and there's obviously no snacks in the 300 year old ship even though they had the little baggie of almonds nobody will admit to going in the sphere except for Harry because everybody knows he went in the sphere but he won't and tell them what's ask, inside it's like they're in sphere club the first rule or something they just wrote, you're not allowed to say you went in the sphere it's just storm storm storms out of uh, storm stone storms out of the room say that 10 times fast uh and and then he's like well women's be crazy in shopping don't they but then he looks down and he's like sam jackson you dropped your book you dropped your twenty thousand leagues under the sea book but then he looks up and sam's already still got his book and then he opens all the cupboards and they're all filled with books it's just all copies of the same books it's kind of like what happened uh with 50 shades of gray in book donations <laughs> and remainder yes. bins it's just like exactly. everybody bought it and everybody sent it right the fuck back and hey did yeah. you know there's a squid in this book is there what page what page is it on 87 i'm gonna say it's around 187 i'm gonna say it's uh 87 on the undercover squid uh yeah <laughs> so so here's the thing this happens and sam jackson's just sitting there reading Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and there's no reason why he wouldn't be be like dude that's a lot of copies of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea shit's getting weird there's no goddamn reason logically in the context of the film why this wouldn't be something he would note and be interested in it never everybody goes in the goddamn sphere but not a not a single and we've you know and anna brought this up i think and nobody has a personality change but maybe sam was in there the longest or he was in there first no maybe i don't think josh i don't think there's an actual reason for any of this aside from that aside from making the audience try to figure out what's going on Sharon's popping some pills. Hoff is like, hey, Jerry, what's in the sphere? And why is this book blank after 87? And Hoffman says, why? 98 times. And Jerry's like, hey, seriously, stop calling me, Jerry. I made a note a few pages before this moment where I was like, God, that's lazy that there's a character named Harry and a character named Jerry. <laughs> oh, wait, God damn it. Are they going to be the same? And yes, they are. Uh, now, here's what is lazy. Uh, Peter Coyote's first name is Harold. <laughs> yes, it's just oh, like guys, God. there's the three on. Jerry's. Like, oh, but also, if the sphere that keeps sending giant squids to kill me said, "Don't call me Jerry," I would not. I would not shout Jerry a million times after that, trying to communicate with it. You know what you do? Just me. You apologize once. Yeah. You try and get it right after yeah. that. He's a psychologist. Yeah. You sit down with your little pencil pad and paper and try to transpose the <laughs> keyboard successfully. Meanwhile, Beth is outside arming some explosives <laughs> yep. that just happen to be there that she happens to know how to use. Panther explosives, the nicest kind. Next time you need to blow up a panther, that is where <laughs> exactly. you go. They're for blowing up panthers. <laughs> so I don't understand, like, the first message says my name is harry 
but a computer program translated that and the other letters all worked out. So, yes. And I know in the book, this is supposed to be something you can check and double check. And it's like part of the thrill of the the entire story. Right. But it was there in front of you on the page all along. Yeah. So, I mean, presumably Harry programmed it to do that and not transliterate the word Harry properly into Jerry and everything else translates properly. But they never really say that. I'm just like, why is it, why is why why isn't he jerpy to meet them? <laughs> like, right? But he they imply that Jerry or Harry doesn't know anything that's going so, on. It makes no sense. This movie, do- yeah. You know what this requires? What? Further analysis, oh, and that's the chapter heading for this next part of the movie. Oh wow! <laughs> do we get that? Well, Hoffenstone finally just grabbed the screenplay, <laughs> and they just they skip ahead, and they're like. That's funny. They don't look like Presbyterians to me. Uh, they they basically figure out that Harry has the ability to manifest his dreams and fantasies because the jellyfish happened when he was dreaming and the book had a squid in it. And that's why there's no pages after the squid scared him. And then there's a big squid. Did Beth, did you go in the sphere? And she's like, what's the sphere? I lied about it to scare you because I know everyone's creeped out about the sphere. So I was like, I want to be cool, too. So I'm just going to tell everyone that I went in the sphere. But honestly, I didn't. Here, let's just mix up some drugs so that uh, we can jab this into Samuel L. Jackson so that he has a nice dreamless sleep until the storm's over. Sharon Stone, by the way, an expert on all drugs. Yes. She is a marine biologist. I I will briefly apologize to any marine biologists out there. I don't know what, I I assume most of your training involves marine biology. (laughs) Pulling golf balls out of the He's my guest. Pulling ball, that sort of thing. But she's just sort of like, oh yeah, 50 cc's of this, 20 cc's of that, and a little, you know, a little squeeze of lemon, uh, and this will knock him out into its hypnosil from uh, fucking uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. It it will give him a, a dreamless sleep. He's conveniently laying face down in a sleeping bag on top of his own arms, so they gank him. Well, they wake him up and then they knock him out, and I'm like, you didn't really need to wake him up. Wake up, sir. I've got a sleeping pill for you. <laughs> sir, Harry, 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 wake up. You need to go to sleep. <laughs> and then there's a bit where the computer is like, oh, receiving transmission. And then they get a number code. Dustin Hoffman's like, oh, no, not another one. How are we going to figure this out? And then it just automatically starts to, keep, point of to decode it. It's a hilarious. It's a, oh. it's a different code. And this one's just telling us, look, hey, the storm's over. The support vehicles are coming back. You'll be all out of here in six hours. We all live. Yay. <laughs> we can Yay. see clearly now. The storm is gone. But then Hoffman's like, it's over. Or is it? If you trust it. Oh, war! Wait, war is that war? Is it war that's over? And then, <laughs> then we're just reminded that the bomb exists, and then we were reminded that Samuel Jackson is sleeping. <laughs> they just show us the bomb occasionally, just to just just to just to be like, hey, remember that bomb? And now Dustin's brushing his teeth, and then like he grabs for something, but it's a snake. Oh, no. Yeah, there's water on the floor, and this little squiggler comes on, and just like shoots right up his leg. Yeah. And then he falls on the floor, splashing and screaming because his bits are getting poisoned. And then Sharon Stone just comes in and she's like, pulls them off and she's like, it's okay, they're nocturnal because that's a, because, because there's diagonal nocturnal creatures under the sea where there's no light. And they don't sting you if it's not No, 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 she says the venom only works at night. I don't, I mean, okay. She's a marine biologist. I have to defer to her marine biology. I don't know that. 
I didn't think that that was true, but apparently that's how that works. Uh, and she's just real chill about it. Like, you deserve What is space. day and night? <laughs> what is day and night at the bottom of the ocean? What does that mean? <laughs> you know, and what the is, same thing is it, at the top of the, the ocean. The snake is awake. It is swimming around. It doesn't look like it has a mouth also. So there's that. But it's like, I'm not going to bite you because it's just going to look at its watch and be like, I'd bite you, but I'm off the clock. And so Sharon Stone's like, hey, Dustin, meet me in the medical lab for smooching. Or something. I'll totally beat you there. And he goes inside this little pod and she slams the door shut. And there's a needle on the table and she shouts at him. She's like, you went in the sphere. Inject so, yourself, or I'll have to—I'll have to defend me. Wait, can we talk about how blasé you are about the snakes in my pants first, please? You're really she really does it. just like stone faced, yeah. just like reach down and pick up the squigglers. <laughs> yes, yeah. just like she's not like, hey, you know, it's kind of weird that these snakes just showed up in, in your pants like this. Out of nowhere. So she tra she traps him in the lab with a hypodermic needle, and she's like, "Hey, yo, you obviously went in the sphere, and now you're manifesting snakes. So you have to knock yourself out." Manifesting snakes is my favorite thrash metal band. And then, and then everything. So just knock yourself out, and everything's going to be great. Instead, what Dustin Hoffman <laughs> does is he opens the he opens the childproof hatch, and swims at the bottom of the ocean uh in this special magical river uh which will not which means he can swim in it without a suit and he won't be weirdly pressurized or blow up and he does this for five minutes uh or as the movie would have us believe less than two minutes and he does not freeze to death and he's only a bit damp to be fair sharon so does try to like squish him to death with the atmosphere because he won't do what he's told Beth is hearing things every every time Peter Coyote <laughs> called her names or said she was ugly, and uh, how how little anyone can trust her expertise. Okay, so I assume that this is Dustin Hoffman manifesting this because he's mad at her and panicking because she tried to murder him. No, it's proof that she went in the sphere and she's manifesting because this is stuff she's afraid of. I thought he was he was like, I know what you're afraid of. I'm gonna subconsciously manifest all the stuff that you aren't gonna like. I mean, it doesn't matter. Who cares about this movie? It super duper doesn't matter. Harry wakes up, Stone gets splooshed with water, and then Peter Coyote flumps on her. Oh, yeah. Half of him, anyway. Yeah. The top half. And then, thank God, it says in my note that there's only 20 minutes left. <laughs> uh, I, kept, I kept checking how much time was left to be like, oh, God, no. How? And my prayer was <laughs> 10 minutes of that have got to be credits, no. but they hadn't invented 20-minute no. credits nope. yet. It only oh. took three people to make that sphere, unfortunately. It wasn't 10 teams working on seven on seven continents. I don't know how many continents there are. I hope there's at least seven. Here's the rest of the movie. Are you ready? I am. All right. Do it. Harry wakes up. Everybody's awake now. Why'd you try and kill me, Sharon? Is, 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 is Hoffman yells and she's like, I don't know what's happening. They all finally realize what happens, which is they all went in the sphere. The sphere manifests all of your hopes and dreams and wishes and fears. And that's what made everybody on the old spaceship go crazy and kill each other. At which point I realized that it works on the same principle as Gozer the Gozerian. <laughs> yes. Yep. And that the movie should have ended with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. They all get on the mini sub uh, because 
Beth armed the explosive to blow them all up for reasons that are vaguely inconclusive. They get in the mini sub, they try to escape, but they're manifesting so hard. They think they're trapped in the ship. So they're all running around the ship, but at the same time, they're staring at the sphere. And at the same time, they're just staring at nothing in the mini sub. And then finally, Dustin Hoffman, because he is the only white man is the one who realizes if he pushes the movie over button, the movie will be over. He pushes the button and they all escape. And is, did I miss anything? Yes. Here's the title. Decompression Chamber, <laughs> yeah, day, day one. one. There's no day two. There's no day three. That's the upsetting just, title. There's nope, no day. There's day nothing. Yes, that's what terrified me. I, you two were upset because it was formatted differently. I was terrified because I was like, oh, no, multiple days of decompression. <laughs> here's my, okay, but here's my theory as to what happens in decompression. Is they spent the whole time, because obviously they didn't get debriefed while they were in decompression or anything. No, or, no. Nor did they talk to each other about what they should do when they get out of decompression. They just suggested getting their story straight and then spent seven days not talking to no, each other until incorrect. it was the no. last possible moment. No, that's not what happened. They had sex with each other the entire time and every time somebody came to like try to debrief them they were like, oh, turned around or watched for a while but then they took they took rest breaks where two of them would have sex and one of them would rest so that they were constantly having sex check out uh, AO3 uh, under Sphere. I'm the only oh. fanfic for Sphere. I've read that. The title is Sfuck. <laughs> I mean, what else was I going to call it? <laughs> they are not being they are not being recorded. I really want to make this clear because this made me furious. They are not being they are not being observed. They are not being recorded. They are not having scientists fucking looking at them and writing things down in clipboards. No, they are left entirely to their own devices. And basically one of them is like, look, a hundred million dollars worth of equipment and a, a bunch of people uh, who were lower in the credits than we are. Uh, everyone's dead. We spent a lot of money. What are we going to tell them that it was just some guy named Jerry? Um, and we're probably already dead because that was still an unknown event. So what are we going to do? And then Samuel Jackson has the realization that they can manifest themselves forgetting everything. <laughs> I, have two, I yeah. have two things to if say. If you wish upon a sphere, <laughs> then, then solves the time paradox, the very important time paradox. I have two things to say. Thing one. Fuck this movie. Thing, and fuck well, this movie. True, but thing one is, I guess they don't know they can lie about things. They can just lie. They don't have to use a magic sphere. They can just tell tell an untruth. Secondly, at this point, Jen said, I wish they'd manifest the end credits. And she wanted to make sure I told everybody. Well, they all hold hands and stand in a circle and count to three. And at the end, they don't know why they're holding hands. So I guess it worked. Basically, the movie was like, well, let's see, we've been offensive to, uh, we've been offensive, uh, we, we killed a bunch of people of color, and we've been offensive to people who have mental illness, and we treated, we gaslit Sharon Stone <laughs> through the whole movie. Oh, you know what we're missing? Just a little, let's end this thing, a cherry on top, just a little bit of gay panic. Just a yeah, little, 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 just a little, little sprinkling, because they're all holding hands to do their forgetting dance, and then they snap out of it, and Hoffman's like, why are you holding my hand? And Samuel L. Jackson's like, why are you holding my hand? And they're like, and why don't we kiss? Over. <laughs> in my, in my, in yeah. my version. So, 
so this is all bullshit there's no reason for them to think they can do any of this stuff because all they've ever done is manifest stuff from their subconscious they have no control over this they don't even know for sure that they'll have this power because apparently they spent ever how an indeterminate amount of time decompressing without anything happening with their sphere powers and this is just the stupidest ending i could like it's just so fucking dumb and i'm so mad about in the it. book beth lies about giving up the power Ooh. Good for Beth. Like they have no way to check yeah. if anyone else keeps the magic power. I mean, they so this so the spear goes shooting off into space like a beautiful wingless snitch. That looks like shit. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> exactly right. That that does look like that looks like absolute and, shit. And people are like, "What's that on the boat?" So that's you know, and sphere gone, problem solved. Didn't we all just have a magical journey with aliens? Nope, I didn't. That, that's not what happened to me. I had two, two hours and 15 minutes of my life cruelly ripped away from me. Thrilling underwater adventure with special effects. I'd rather watch Undersea Marine Express again than Sphere. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I, that's, you know what? Comparatively, full of mystery and wonder. That was really enjoyable. I miss Marine Express. I might watch Marine Express this week. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm coming around on Marine Express. <laughs> That may be the tongue scraper I use to get the filth of this movie off of it. This is the best underwater movie we've watched for this podcast. So this sucked oh. uh, terribly, absolutely terribly. Corey, how did you feel revisiting? It made me so angry. <laughs> I got so angry while I was writing my notes. I was like, I'm going to go back through this and make sure that I've got like the characters' names correct and stuff. And then I just like, I had to hit send and just <laughs> stop, yeah. go away yeah. for a while. Yep. Yeah. Sure. I did still get like a bit of the, the, the anxiety that it caused me as a kid oh. watching it. And it was just like, ugh, this is scary. But other than that, I was just upset at the treatment of all of the female characters and especially Beth. And. The, the just nasty behavior of all the characters. You two read the book. Is the book better? I don't remember. Probably. I mean, maybe. I don't think. I mean, I think that. I think that the events in the movie are roughly the events in the book. I don't think the book is. I don't. Here's a hot. Here's a hot take. I don't think the book was really made for a good film. I don't think the book had the had the qualities of a film and they didn't change any of those things to make it a better to make it more of a film. And it was just bad and stupid. And I wouldn't re I certainly would never reread anything Frightens written at this point in my life. They started making this and I was reading on the wiki. They started making this in 96 yeah. and then they decided that the script was terrible. <laughs> so they went off. So Hoffman and uh, Levinson went off and made Wag the Dog while 92 more screenwriters <laughs> took a shot at it. And then they came back from Wag the Dog and went, well, that was fun to make a good movie. Well, back, back to, to the sphere. shit. Uh, back to Sphere. Uh, and I guess whatever shape the script was in when Wag the Dog was over, they were like, oh, beautiful. <laughs> All right, now we got this. We should definitely hire some big budget actors for this. Yeah. What a what a Ugh. what a terrible movie and there's no way that I can there's no real even the like the idea like you manifest all of your thoughts and it's like so why isn't the room just filled with like, you know, like pudding. fucking pudding and Reese's peanut butter cups and boobs and stuff? Like why wouldn't, you know, you know, why hmm. wouldn't every thought you have <laughs> 
Oh, look, it's a dog with seven feet. And it's yeah, and there Ethel should Merman be a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Why isn't your there dead wife be. here who committed suicide? Yeah. You know, I saw a good movie once that was about people uh, who encountered an alien life form and manifested things from their psyche. And it was called Solaris. And it's only half an hour longer than this bullshit. I've never seen either Solaris. Which Solaris should well, I see? Oh, the Tarkovsky. The Tarkovsky. Okay. I'm not going to say that the Tarkovsky Solaris isn't going to feel long, but it will be worthwhile in a way that Sphere is absolutely not. Anyway. <laughs> Sphere. Da, 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 da. Sphere. Sphere. I hated it. I never uh, want to watch it again. It I don't want to think about it again. It was real stupid. Everybody was terrible in it. It was a waste of everybody. Oh, Sharon Stone, when she walks away, gives double middle fingers behind her back. That was the only thing in the movie I liked. I thought Sharon Stone was great in this movie, like in terms of like she was the only character that I liked at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I realized in comparison, like, I mean, she wasn't like it wasn't a great performance, but she was the I was happier when she was on screen than anybody else. Uh, she's great in Welcome to Murderville. Oh, if you watch any that of is. that. It is a Will Arnett limited Netflix mm. series, and it's basically uh, it's a half hour police procedural. Oh, I do know what that but is. The, yes. But the gag is, is that there's a special guest right. star every week who doesn't have a script and they have to solve the crime. And Sharon Stone's wonderful. I believe that it's just I my tolerance for Will Arnett is not high. He's not bad in this. Watch the Sharon Stone episode because basically she walks in and she's just like, I'm driving uh, <laughs> nice. and drives for a half hour. Yes. And it's good. perfect. I, I mean, I, nothing wrong with that. Okay, cool. Yeah. All well, right. We that, did it. Thank you both for joining me on uh, reliving a portion of my childhood. You're not uh, welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no, you're welcome. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm Coriander Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Epsilar. Uh, I'm Josh A. Kagan, and you can find me on Instagram at Josh A. Kagan. I'm Anna Wasserman, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Gold Sarcasmium. Next up, we have Common Rider O's 10th Core Medal of Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs>